Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have saved us and how you have freed us through your Son. Help us to know what it truly means to be walking by your Spirit and help us, Lord, so that we can be a community transformed by your Gospel. And pray that we might be rightly devoted uh, to especially the things that are of eternal worth. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son. Amen. So I'd like to begin by asking the question, how would you recognize a Malaysian outside of Malaysia, right? Imagine you're in a faraway place, you know, the last place you would expect to bump into another Malaysian. I mean, now uh, people are traveling everywhere, isn't it, right? And you're in the last place you think you expect to bump into another Malaysian, and all of a sudden, behind you, you hear these words, Hey, macha, you want to makan here or tapau? Like, oh, there's a Malaysian right there, right? Because like, this simple sentence that combines four languages about food, it's just like what, uh, what we like to put forth as a Malaysian uh, ideal, isn't it? That we're a multicultural, uh, that food, we care, we're passionate about food, right? But there's another way that we could recognize a Malaysian. For example, again, in the same country, uh, you, you, you see someone crossing a very busy road, ignoring a zebra crossing, ignoring a pedestrian bridge, ignoring that the pedestrian light is red, and just crossing the street with the power of the hand. <laughs> hey, that's Malaysian. That's Malaysian, right? And that highlights the, the Malaysian bole mentality that's unfortunately very flexible with the law. And that's not very good, isn't it? Where am I going with this? If I turn the question around and ask, how would you recognize a Christian outside of the church, in the public places, outside of a Sunday morning? How would you recognize a Christian? Is it because we wear cross-shaped jewelry? Or is it because we wear a cam t-shirt with the Bible verse at the back? Now, nothing wrong with those things, please, okay? Don't hear me saying anything wrong about those things. But that's not what Jesus had in mind, isn't it? Because in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another that the world is supposed to recognize that we belong to Christ by our love for one another and by extension, our love for Him. And how does this tie in? Well, it, it really ties in with all that we've been going through in Galatians so far. So what have we been going through? Paul would understand that this love, love for the other, as the sum total of the entire law, as you read in Galatians 5 verse 14. The whole law, the whole Old Testament is fulfilled in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. That this love for the other, sacrificially, selflessly, is the standard for human flourishing, isn't it? That if we all loved each other selfless, selflessly, the world would be a much better place. That's God's desire for human beings, for human flourishing. The law is good. But what's the problem we see here? We aren't good because our love is inherently selfish. We don't love God the way we should. We don't love our neighbours the way we should. Instead, we love ourselves. Uh, it leads us to seeking our own good, our own comfort, our own convenience, and often at the expense of others. You don't have to look too far outside to see uh, humans exploiting the environment out of their greed. Humans exploiting other humans out of their greed, greed right? And that's why in Galatians 3 verse 10, Paul says, all who rely on the works of the Lord, if you rely on meeting God's standard of perfect love, guess what? We don't meet it. For curses all who those do not abide by the things in the law. And that's us. Our selfish love doesn't meet God's standard and places us under God's curse. And God is right to do so, brothers and sisters, because God is good. You see, it is good to be wrathful, to be uh, uh, desiring to, to, to de destroy evil. 
that perverts and destroys God's good creation. Unfortunately, that's us. We were under God's curse. We were selfish. We were spreading that destruction of sin. And nothing we could do could save ourselves from that curse. That's the bad news. That's slavery. But if that's verse 10, a few verses later in verse 13, Paul highlights in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By just washing his hand away? No. Christ redeemed us by himself becoming the curse. He himself bore the curse. As you read, that curses, that the law states that curses everyone who's hanging on the tree. And that's Jesus as he hung on the cross, as he was crucified for our sins. He being sinless took our death, bore our shame, and completely paid the price for our punishment. And for those of us uh, who receive the promised spirit through faith, through faith in him, by believing in what Christ has done, that Christ hung on the cross for me. We believe in that. We're united with him and we receive the Holy Spirit. And that, in Galatians 4 verse 6, is the same spirit that enables us to call, to cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer under the curse. We're no longer slaves. But we are free. True freedom. We are true sons of God. That's what we have in Christ through the gospel. And now that we're sons, we're free to love, to serve one another. And that's what Galatians 5.13 would say. And we've come back to a full circle, isn't it? We were called now, we're freed now, but we're freed to love one another. What the law set as a perfect standard that we cannot live up to, Christ bore our failure, and now he's raising us up to be able to love as we were meant to originally. And last week, that's what we saw, uh, that this is not something that we force ourselves like, oh, we, we, we double down hard to push ourselves to love the way we should love. No, no, no. Brothers and sisters, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we read in Galatians 5.22, this is the list of the fruit. It's not forced labor, but organically grown from the heart of the believer. Now, I want to pause for a moment here and say, if you're with us today and you do not yet know Christ as your Savior, as your Redeemer, it's so wonderful that you're here amongst us, and I, I'm really glad that you're here, and I hope that your time spent with us will be a fruitful one. But above all else, I hope that, um, we hope that you would know what true freedom means, about true, life's true purpose and true meaning that God freely offers you in Christ. And if you're curious about any of this, about freedom, about slavery, about any of this, please reach out at this link, samaries.my slash connect. Uh, reach out to us, chat with any of us. We would love to hear your questions and have a chat with you, all right? But coming back to today's passage, now, why did I spend so long about summarizing the law, what the law is and where we are by believing the gospel now that we're free to love one another? Why, why did I spend so much time? Because Paul, today, in today's passage, would lay out some practical advice about how a life lived by the Spirit will actually look like, okay? Uh, and, and so the big idea for us today is that believers, those who believe in Christ, we are a spirit-led community devoted to one another, are devoted to the gospel's work in each other, okay? And this is seen in many, in two parts, okay? So only two parts today. Uh, the first part would be in how the gospel community bears one another's burdens humbly, in verses 1 to 5. And the next part in verses 6 to 7 is about how the gospel community prioritizes gospel ministry. And we'll see how that all ties together, all right? So let's start with verse 1, shall we? So we read in verse 1, Brothers, Again, we start with this passage addressed of brothers and sisters in Christ. So please bear in mind, for our entire passage today, the application, the instruction is specifically to Christians. 
Of course, non-Christians, if you have questions about it, feel free to ask them. We welcome you to ask them. But bear in mind, the intention for this, the instructions for this, the application of this is Christians. What are Christians to do? If any of us is caught in transgression, and the, and the language here could be a bit flexible. It's not just about uh, fallen in sin, although that's the main application, but it could even mean uh, to, to forestall by taking, to take beforehand before one falls into it. All right? So if anyone is fell, fallen into sin or even looks like they're going to fall into sin, what are we to do? You who are spiritual. And to clarify, this does not mean a special class of believers, that there's Christians here a bit more spiritual. Maybe they've done all the TNT courses, they've done Bible overview, maybe they pray five times a day. Yeah, they're more spiritual. No, no, no. Um, it, Paul says here, you, comma, the spiritual. Related to all the brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us who are led by the Spirit. If we believe in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We're living by the Spirit. All of us. All of us, right? We are too. What are we to do? We are to restore them. That this is a command. The restore here is a command. It's an imperative Paul gives. gives. And the word here to restore is to strengthen, to complete, to bring them what, uh, to what they ought to be. All right? And this is done in the spirit of gentleness. And again, to explain this word, the typical impression of the word gentle is that of a feather or a fluffy pillow or silk, right? It's very soft and gentle, isn't it? But that's not the Bible's use of the word. The word parotes in Greek is a picture of strength under control. And I like to, uh, a picture I like to use is a picture of an elephant's trunk. You see, the elephant can use its trunk to wrap around a tree trunk and uproot the entire tree. Strong. But scientists, when they are, how, what can they actually do with the trunk? What can they pick up with the trunk? And the elephant can use its trunk to pick up all sorts of shapes and objects, even a tortilla chip that the pressure exerted on the chip doesn't break it, to lift it up to eat. Mind-blowing, right? But that's the idea of the gentleness, that it's not a gentleness without strength. But clarifying here, so to restore from a spirit of gentleness doesn't mean that we treat them nicely, uh, but we whack with the biggest stick behind that. No, no, no. Okay? This strength doesn't come from our ability. It doesn't come from our moral standing. Okay? It comes from uh, God's truth, that we restore from the perspective of God's truth. Okay? And that's why it's important what he says next. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, humble restoration is not just about gentle strength, but also in recognizing that we who do the restoring are also weak. We, are, we have a tendency to sin. We also need Jesus. Even as we seek to restore someone else, a brother and sister, right? We need Jesus as well. So when we take all of that together, this sentence, what does it mean? We, as Christians, are to keep watch over one another, such so that if any one of us amongst us, right, falls into sin, it could be, and it could be any of us, all of us are equally vulnerable. Those of us, uh, the rest of us, we, as we are being led by the Spirit, we should restore them, walk alongside them, and in all humility and gentleness, seek to strengthen and encourage them away from their sin and back towards God, being careful not ourselves to fall into sin. And this humble restoration it's important why well, I spent so long unpacking it because that's how we understand the next verses. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. This is the burden we bear. It's not just that when we see a brother or sister carrying a heavy bag, we carry it. No, no. That this bearing here is in the same sense in which the other parts of the Bible says how Christ carries, bears our infirmities. He carries our diseases. In the same way too, we should be carrying our brothers and sisters' failures. And this, loving in this way, loving them in this way, fulfills the law of Christ. 
which as we have mentioned just now, what's the law of Christ? Love one another as Christ has loved you. That in bearing one another's burdens, we are loving each other the way that the law was meant to point us to. And we do so we need to do so humbly in, in, because when we are helping another person in their failure, right, there's a tendency for pride to come in. And that's why Paul says in verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul's very aware that when we help someone in their failing, there could be a tendency to think, wow, I'm better than this person. Or, wow, this person failed. I wouldn't do that, right? And, and to make ourselves feel better because we're helping, oh, this, this poor person needs my help, right? But to do that would be sinful. To do that would be self-deceptive, as if we won't fall in the first place, isn't it? But not all of us do it that way, right? But there's another way that pride can come in through the back door, as it were. Because some of us may be so quick to help others, to offer help. Good man, help others, right? But we are not so good, not so quick to be asking for help. Because to ask for help would be to place ourselves in the need of vulnerability, place ourselves at others' mercy. And that is what our pride won't allow us to do, if we're being honest. And why is that self-deceptive? So self-deceptive. Because we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots, personally as well as spiritually. To think that you can have failings and be aware of it, or even you can, on your own, be aware of your own failings and improve is the height of pride. It's deceptive. The very name mentioned implies blind spots are blind to the one having it. So the only way for us to be aware, to grow from our blind spots, to correct what's bad in us is for someone else to point it out, right? It's like vegetable in your teeth, right? No way knowing it, unless people point it out, right? So, putting that aside, let me ask, who is able to speak into your life? Who is able to hold you accountable? Because if there's no one, then you're in a dangerous position of having a blind spot but not being aware of it. And this is where Christ wants us to function as a community, to restore one another, to call us out of our failings so that we can be more and more like Christ. Okay? And uh, we go a bit more into this before we come to the application, yeah? So verse 4 and 5, rounding it out. But let each one test his own work, then his reason to boast will be in himself and not his neighbour. So Paul's saying here, instead of boasting by comparing uh, yourself to someone else's failure, you then instead assess your own life. How well have I lived by the Spirit? How well have I obeyed? How well have I loved my brother or sister? And when we come to verse 5, each one has to bear his own load. So what's going on here? Because just three verses back, we say we should bear each other's burdens, right? Is it a contradiction? Well, the, the verb, the root verb is the same, bearing, but the actual uh, word used to describe the burden and the load is different. That's why the ESV uses two different words here. Two different things are in mind. The first bearing has to do with caring, our burden or our duty to love. Therefore, we bear one another's burdens. We, we care for the other. We have a duty to love sacrificially uh, our brother and sister as we obey the Holy Spirit. And the second is about us having to give an account for how well we have discharged that duty of love. You see, before God, okay, 
Yes, on one sense, we have all just been justified, made right by Christ. There's nothing you can do to improve your standing before God, right? But as Christians, as we seek to live the Christian life, at the end of the day, when God looks at us and our work is tested as Christians, it will not be on the merit that we failed less than our brother sister. But it will be on our own, how have we submitted to him? How have we in this moment chosen him? And this leads us to our first principle that believers in love humbly restore one another, each other from sin. What do we do when we see someone we care about um, making a very grave mistake? So let me give an example of maybe credit card debt. So um, if you do not know, if you, it's very easy to make purchases with your credit card because you don't have to pay money yet. And there are some people who just make purchases they can't pay back. And what happens to credit card? They would actually increase, they would charge you interest if you can't pay it off, right? And that interest can just increase every time you can't. You don't meet it on August, okay, they'll charge you interest in September and so on and so forth. It just piles up. And, and what do we do if, if someone's in, in that trap, carving credit card bill with another credit card and, and because they are living an unsustainable lifestyle? If we love them, if we see our loved ones going through that, we really want to help them, isn't it? We want them to know how dangerous credit card interest rate can be, how quickly they could be buried under it. We want, we want to, to know, do they know how they got there? Could they fix it? And as much as they're willing to, will they allow us to, to come in and help them get a hold of their finances? Not by a bailout, right? but by figuring out what went wrong. Because in such a situation, you throw money at it, it won't solve the problem. Okay? And, and financial debt can wreck someone for years. And it is, it's tough because this is a, so much is a self-inflicted difficulty and it could, be, it could have been avoided. But if that was financial debt, how much more serious is sin? Because while financial debt can wreck someone for years, sin could wreck someone for an eternity. And not just that individual, isn't it? Because sin has a way of spreading, spreading and, and destroying as an area of effect among the loved ones of that person. Innocent bystanders hurt in, the, in, in, in that sin. So, if we truly care for our brothers and sisters, we will be concerned that they are making a grave mistake of listening to the lies of this world. Maybe they are, they are listening to lies saying that you're not enough. You need to work harder. You need to earn more money. You need to do this to be successful. You need to do this to be attractive. You need to do this to be appreciated and useful. And to love them, to tell them, no, don't buy into the world's lies. Remember that we don't belong to this world. Remember who we are. We are sons of the living God. We are loved by the Almighty. And that the Almighty God does not make mistakes and He certainly did not make a mistake when He called you and I to be His children. Remember those truths. But it's one thing for me to say it from the pulpit. How can we be doing this in our everyday relationships with one another and our friendships in, in our family relationships? How can we broach this topic? And there's a reason why we don't really see this in churches that we don't see churches as a place where people call out sin, right? Because culturally, we rather avoid conflict. We rather sweep things under the carpet. Because once we bring this up, there's a, there's a few potential, like very high percentage of these reactions. Number one, they could get defensive. You say, I have a problem. No, 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 you have a problem. Why don't you address your problem first before coming, coming to me, right? They could be defensive. Or they could be in denial. You say, uh, I think you might have a problem here. Say, no, I don't do that then you're back at square one. 
or, uh, or, or they could be passive-aggressive and say like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm the worst, yeah, 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 yeah. You think I'm the worst, right? And whatever happens, right, you've lost because the relationship has been broken. So how can we go about it? Um, the best way for such reminders, for such restorations, for such topics to be broached is if the one receiving it can perceive that it's given in love, right? That the one receiving this rebuke or criticism perceives that it's given in love. And this cannot happen outside of trust. That's why I asked just now, who can speak into your life? Who will you trust to give them the, the, the right to be speaking into your life if you have something wrong? It cannot exist outside of trust, outside of a relationship. So if, if someone, just you know, uh, a stranger on the street just comes and say, hey, you man, you've got a problem. Okay, <laughs> right? Maybe he has a problem, I don't know, right? Or, but if it was a friend and says, Tim, I think you may have a problem here. I will listen more readily, isn't it? Because it's someone I know, someone I trust, someone whom I know they're coming from a place of care. So if there is a brother or sister whose sin you're aware of, first ask yourself, Number one, would I obey the Spirit enough to want to speak life in restoration into this brother or sister? Would I care enough about this brother or sister to speak into this? Second question, if I am speaking into this, am I doing so out of love or out of like, you know, a need to be proud and, and, and validate myself to say that someone is wrong? And number three, how can I convey this in a way that this other person will know that I love them? Now, disclaimer, it may be possible to do everything right, but still it will go wrong. <laughs> but it's better to have tried than to allow sin to remain. That's how serious it is. Believers are a spirit-led community devoted to the gospel's work in each other. One cannot love God and hate his church. Just like you cannot tell me that you love me, but you hate my kids. It just won't work. Believers, Christians, we are those who have been transformed by the gospel. And as such, we seek to, that the gospel work itself out in each other's lives. And we cannot do this alone. We need each other to do this. And this is how the gospel needs to be playing a central role in our community. And we'll see next in how we can keep the gospel as the center of our community in the next section. In verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the word here refers to the law of Christ just now, right? The gospel, the Christian faith. Paul summarizes it all in saying the word. When it says share, the word here, sharing, it has the idea of contribution, partnership, fellowship. That in other parts of the Bible, in Romans, in 2 Corinthians, in Philippians, Paul refers to the same word of sharing with how the other churches should be sharing in the burden of the poorer churches. He meant financial giving. And they partnership together in, in, in generously sharing, right? And all good things here refer to material things, the, the necessary things of life. Uh, we look in Luke 12 or Luke 16, the parables there, when it says good things, it meant material things. So to take that all together in verse 6, Paul is saying that the one being instructed in the faith should not hesitate to generously meet the needs of the one, the instructor, who has eschewed, turn away from a secular income in order to um, be teaching this full-time. That, the needs, that there's a real need for the word to go out, 
a real need so much so that people would devote all their time and energy and not be having a secular income to be doing so. And that can only happen if the community comes in and meets their needs too. We cannot exist without one another, all right? And that's what Paul is saying. And, and uh, disclaimer here, I'll be viewing the next few verses in light of this, okay? In light of this need for community here. So Paul says in verse 7 to 8, don't be deceived, okay? So do not think that we can escape consequences of our actions. Um, now, this is not due to karma, but rather it's due to God's justice because our God is a just God. He will ensure that uh, the consequences will be just, right? That what you sow, you will reap. He will not be mocked. And he uses this word to emphasize this. So what will he not mocked, be mocked in? In verse 8, so we see the uh, uh, idea of sowing and reaping and the idea of corruption versus eternal life. And the idea behind this, so corruption uh, literally translates to decay. Now, it could mean futility. It could mean uselessness, right? That in the end, you have a pointless life. But because it's contrasted with eternal life, there's something very specific here in mind. That sowing and reaping in other parts of the Bible, in a larger context, has to do with at the end of all time, at the end of your life, when you stand at the judgment seat, how will it go? Okay, that's the perspective, the eternal perspective that we have. That eternal life is about life that is eternal in quality as well as length. The eternal life is about that, that, that result of faith in the gospel brought about by the Holy Spirit. So, God will not be mocked. When that, when that day comes, you will see that God is not mocked. And how do we live out this, right? So, I'll go back to the words of Jesus here to, that illustrates this very beautifully. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You see, if we seek to be living for ourselves, for our legacy, our financial freedom, even to the extent of our families, that's all we live for, we, we, that's the purpose of our life, we will lose it. There's nothing that we can take, that earn on this earth that we can take in heaven. Our stuff is of no worth in heaven. Even family Unfortunately, four to five generations down, you'll be forgotten for most of us. So let's not be fooled into thinking that we can give the best of our time, best of our energy, best of our, our, our resources towards things in this life and leave God the scraps. Leave God the balance, the, 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 the loose change of our time and our, our, our attention and expect that when we stand before him in the judgment throne, that it will go well. That's what he's saying. But there's a but in there, isn't it? But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So what's going on here? If we devote ourselves to the work of the Gospel, if we devote ourselves to, the, to, to his good news, his message, his proclamation, God's message, God's word that will endure, God's mission that will achieve what it's meant to achieve in this world and the next, we, brothers and sisters, are uniting ourselves to something that is eternal that will last for an eternity, that nothing we ever do for God will ever be wasted. God is not mocked. So with that in mind, we come to verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't grow up. Don't give up, sorry. sorry. In light of this sowing and reaping in the, in the previous verses, referring to eternal consequences, so too we look at this doing good. So in a sense, the good here, yes, it means earthly things like resources and time, like what we do, with what we have right now. But we should understand 
that is what is good is defined by what is eternal, from an eternal perspective. So as you have seen, that just means what is done for Christ and his gospel. So as we give of ourselves, our time, our resources, financial, otherwise to Christ, uh, we give to his church uh, that's saved by his gospel, that is sowing to the Spirit. And that doing so is not easy work. Holding out, uh, loving each other is not easy. Holding out the gospel in a world that is corrupted by sin is not easy. And we thank, uh, I want to thank all who give of their, their time, their, their resources, their effort, um, the ushers, the, the Bible readers, the prayer leaders, the Gigi leaders, the AV team, all who are giving of themselves to serve and, and ensure that the message goes on, that the community stays together. That, they, that of, of their own, and even those of their own initiative seek to love members of the church on their own. You know who you are. That you don't do it for recognition or acclaim. You don't do it for, for fame. But sometimes maybe, maybe you find yourself at a time when you're doing this, but doubt creeps in. Am I doing it right? Am I making a difference at all? Why, why do I have nothing to show for it? God, what are you doing? Am I wasting my time? Please remember, God sees your service and God will not forget it. God will not be mocked. Don't give up because you will reap. And if you find yourself weary, burning out, please let others help you. There's no shame in burning out because burnout is not a reflection of failure. It's not a reflection that, that we, we are very horrible Christians. No, burnout, tired, growing tired in ministry is a reflection that we're all limited as human beings. All the more so the community needs to step in to help one another, love each other to prevent burnout, isn't it? Because resources are limited. And that's why we, we should understand verse 10. As we have the opportunity to, as we have the opportunity, yes, we help everyone, do good to everyone, yes. But the fact of the matter is we can't help everyone, right? If we have to choose who to help, we prioritize the household of faith because they are the people, number one, first and foremost, who we'll be seeing in eternity. But it's also this community that will be proclaiming where the gospel is lived out, where the gospel is proclaimed out, where the gospel is built up and taught. So this leads us to our last principle in that believers contribute selflessly to the gospel. So the best good any of us could do to an unbeliever is to let them know of their current reality that's outside the gospel, that outside of the gospel, they're cursed under God's law. They cannot live up to God's standard and that if they belong to this world, they will be destroyed along with everything in this world, that this world is on the path to being destroyed. No point living for it. That's the reality. But there's a good news, there's a hope in the gospel that God has entered in, that God has offered eternal life to undeserving people like you and me, that there is hope freely offered if we believe in Jesus. We have hope beyond this life. And if that non-believer, if an unbeliever chooses to trust in Jesus, guess what? They've just made an eternal shift of their reality, that they've just changed their eternal fate. The gospel is God's good news to this world plagued by sin. The church is the body of Christ and that each member is joined in as each of us have believed in that gospel. And we see Christ's body build itself up in love as it reaches out with the message of this same gospel. There will always be a human tendency to deviate from the gospel, to make church about other things, about being larger numbers, about better buildings, about better services, about online platforms that are new and fascinating. And those are good things, but they're not the central thing. The gospel must be proclaimed. 
The gospel must be expressed in each other's lives, in each other's lives, and this is something that's of eternal worth. To be living for Christ and His gospel. Now, a special plea for those of us at Smack. Okay, I didn't do this at the liturgical. At Smack, we need help. There are those in Smack who, who can teach the word. You are able to. You you're solid. You're grounded. You've God has worked in your heart. You know who you are. And you've been invited, and when you are invited, may I ask that you please don't ignore God's call to serve Him. Please don't think that, oh, I don't need to do it. Someone else could do it. Or, or, if I do it, what will I eat? What will I survive on? Is it worth it? You know what? You never know if you don't try. Um, that's where I was uh, at a period of time in my life. Uh, long story short, maybe if you want my full story, you can, you know, we can have coffee sometime, but in the ups and downs, in the times and the challenges, so when, when we didn't have enough, God is worth it. God is worth the heartache. He's worth the pain. He's worth the pain that you go in ministry. He is worth it. So worth it. But even for those, if, if word ministry is not your thing, there's other opportunities to be participating, to be contributing in our community, in ensuring that this is a community that preserves the gospel, that God's gospel doesn't go out in our generation, in our day, in our age. Believers are a spirit-led community devoted to the gospel's work in each other. This could be in GGs, in growth groups, where in smaller groups on outside of a Sunday, we meet around God's word and grow each other in the gospel. This could happen during greeting time, during after service, when we have conversations to think, to think about God's word, think about how God's word has been working in our lives. I'll end with this. There's a famous quote that goes, only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. How will others outside smack know that smack is a spirit-led community that is shaped by the gospel? I pray that it will be because we devote ourselves to things that are of eternal worth, that we love one another enough to call out sin and have those hard conversations where it's necessary, and that we love one another enough that our needs are met in this community. And this can only be done with God's work. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for how um, you have met all our needs in Christ. You have saved us in Christ. You have redeemed us in Christ. And now that we don't deserve it, but you use us in your ministry, in your purpose, in your kingdom, unworthy vessels such as us, that you would have us, the church, to love one another and so proclaim your gospel. Lord, we are not worthy. And we cannot do it on our own strength. Help us, Lord, to recognize our need for you. Help us, Lord, to recognize our need for one another. And help us, Lord, to be seriously asking the real questions of ourselves, where we need to be obeying you more. And please give us the strength and the courage to obey you. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.